So Glenn Lowry is interviewing Charles Murray. Charles Murray is a, you know, he's a super famous author, basically, and he, and he goes and gives speeches. And the most famous thing he wrote was a book called The Bell Curve. I think he wrote it in the 80s, maybe early 80s. And in that book, he said something like, you know, here's the IQs of whites, and here's the IQs of blacks, and this explains some of the differences between the communities. Basically, IQ is a thing that explains some of the differences. And, you know, I think he he's very careful to always back up any of his statements with, you know, facts and studies from other people, not his own studies, you know, reputable people. But anyways, just saying that, you know, uh, now whatever. He's on the Southern Poverty Law Center website as a white supremacist, for instance. There are things that may be true, but you're still not supposed to say them. And basically, he's the guy, he's the famous guy who said them, not just some rando on the internet. But anyways, I mean, even in the 80s, I mean, that blew up on him so hard that I think he, he switched away from that topic, and then he started talking about... Um, I guess he wrote a book on how welfare should be reformed, and that was kind of what uh, the Bill Clinton welfare, welfare reform was based on. You know, he's a big libertarian. He thinks that everyone should be treated as an individual, and liberty should be the most uh, important thing that we should be thinking about with our government. Anyways, uh, so Glenn Lowry, remind people he's a black man, uh, economist at Brown, Ivy League economist, black. Um, Anyways, you know, he has the, he can talk to Charles Murray, basically. He's not afraid. He can talk to him and say whatever he wants because he's black. You know, a lot of people are terrified of talking to Charles Murray, you know, giving him a platform, as they say. People have been canceled for talking to Charles Murray, basically. Anyway, so Charles Murray kind of left the racial thing behind uh, for whatever, since the 80s, so for 30 years. And he's got a new book coming out, and he's going back to it. Apparently he's decided screw it he's old enough and he doesn't care anymore so that's what he's talking to glenn about his new book and so the first thing he says is that being a police officer in a poor black neighborhood or maybe and also certain poor hispanic neighborhoods is dangerous like it's much much more dangerous than being a cop in the suburbs and then he says you know you always got to throw in the caveats um doesn't mean you're it's justified to do this doesn't mean it's justified to do that but it's just a different kind of job, you know? You're just going to have a different uh, mentality when you work in these dangerous neighborhoods. And he mentions that uh, senior executives at big corporations, you know, are not, you know, 13% of America is black. Those high-up people are not 13% of them black, uh, especially in the tech companies. And he says that it's a pipeline problem. There's not enough whatever, there's not enough blacks and Hispanics at the lower levels to then work their way up to the higher levels. And he says, you know, what? I guess maybe what made him write the book is, is like the media. I mean, you know, this is the stuff I talk about anyways. The media and everyone is like blaming systemic racism, which he says is uh, not well-defined. That's something I've said. But then he says, you know, some amount of people not getting up into the higher, whatever, some amount of blacks and Hispanics not doing well is based on uh, levels of crime and 
basically IQ, cognitive ability, he calls it. And he says, you know, is that 40% of the problem, 60% of the problem? Well, we could discuss how much of the problem, you know, how much of it is systemic racism, how much of it is crime, how much of it is cognitive ability. And I guess whatever, he wants to open up that dialogue, which obviously you can't talk about that normally. Consider blaming the victim, I think. Plus, after George Floyd, I mean, well, you guys know what happened. You can get canceled. So why does Charles Murray think it's important to talk about these things that obviously people do not want to talk about? Well, he thinks that uh, it's damaging America. Like, I guess what he, his, you know, what he says his belief in America is, is that in America, we treat people as individuals, not as groups. Like, you know, kind of like content of your character. Uh, maybe not the color of your skin. So apparently that's important to Charles. And he says, yeah, on the left they're attacking that, and on the right they're attacking that. Uh, and he starts with the left. And he says basically what the left currently wants to do, you know, this is the, the media and academia, is they don't want to treat you as an individual. They want to treat you as part of a group. And he thinks that's un-American. And Glenn's always good at playing, playing devil's advocate to his guests, uh, no matter what he believes. And so he's like, here's the comeback to that. A long history of injustice, including the war on drugs that incar you know, criminalized and incarcerated uh, millions of minorities. Uh, you, can't just, you can't just say, okay, now we're going to be colorblind. No, you have to treat people as groups because groups are treated poorly in the past. And that's, why, that's the cause of all the problems today. Or something like that. So Murray's response is that you know he doesn't care if it's a hundred percent systemic racism or zero percent systemic racism, you know, with the other side of that teeter-totter being criminal activity and cognitive ability. He just thinks that if you wanna well, he says he just thinks that if you wanna do correct public policy, you gotta figure out how much is which. Otherwise, you'll be maybe barking up the wrong tree, you know, doing stuff that isn't going to affect it because you're trying to solve a problem that maybe doesn't exist or doesn't exist to the amount that you thought it did. Anyways, and then Glenn is like, you know, in your book, you don't say, you don't ever say if it's 100 or 0 or 10 or 90 or any of that stuff. And he points out that the readers of, of Murray's book are probably going to be like, I'll fill in those numbers myself, you know, so everyone can say, you know, maybe say, I think it's 50% crime, 20% cognitive ability, and 30% systemic racism. I don't know. Is that what I think? I don't think so. I just threw out those numbers. Boy, you know, I'm afraid to throw out the numbers. I don't even want to let myself try and think what the real numbers are. So those are not the numbers. But anyways, you got to be careful. So Charles Murray says the reason why he didn't put those numbers in. I think the reason why he didn't put those numbers in is because that is too controversial it's too controversial. He couldn't, you know, he had to get out of that. He would have to get out of that kitchen because there'd be too much heat. But anyways, the reason he says that he didn't put in the numbers is that the people who study this stuff don't agree on the numbers, which I believe that is true. Um, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, you get fired from your job, you get the wrong numbers, basically. 
and you might get fired from your job if you just want to look into the numbers or you might, you know, whatever. It's a very controversial thing. Your, uh, you know, your job could be on the line if you look into this stuff. So that's the first thing. And then second off, I guess amongst the people who do have the whatever to uh, look into the numbers, they don't agree. Some people, some people probably say it's 100% systemic racism. I mean, that would be an easy, that would be an easy paper to write. It's all systemic racism. All right, give me 10 papers like that. And then apparently whoever, whatever the other numbers are, uh, there's no consensus on that part. And I think I mentioned, but Murray, he doesn't do the numbers himself. He, uh, he just tries to take numbers from reputable sources so that he doesn't look like a crazy racist. Um, anyways, so apparently taking numbers, it's hard. It's hard to take uh, num numbers from reputable sources on this subject. Well, screw it. I'll put some numbers on this. Why not? Um, I'm going to say it's something like one-third crime, one-third cognitive ability, and one-third um, racism. I mean, the crime one's pretty simple. You know, you live in a bad crime neighborhood. You're going to have, you know, the kids that go, grow up in bad crime neighborhoods are going to have poor outcomes. Which then feeds into the cognitive ability thing now, right? This doesn't have to be, um, right, the real crazy part of that is like, is it genetic or is it environment? Let's say it's all environment. Thank God it's so easy to just say that. Uh, you know, but if you live in a bad crime neighborhood where kids are not growing up in a good environment... Now you got a school full of kids who are basically not doing the right thing. And, you know, you, you want to learn whatever. Some kid wants to learn and sitting next to them is some other disruptive kid. Uh, well, neither one of them is going to succeed. You got to have, you know, you got to really you know, maybe, you know, one disruptive kid per classroom at the most. Uh, and I think some of these bad neighborhood schools, you know, half the class is disruptive and that totally screws the other half. You can't be sending half of the class to the principal's office every day. They just don't let you do that. You know, and maybe they got ADHD. You know, they got diagnosed or undiagnosed ADHD, and they just can't sit still. So whatever it is, you know, kids are never at fault for anything because, well, they didn't ask to be born. They're not in control of their parents. They're not in control of their uh, city, state, school, nothing. So it's not their fault. Something that we need to put, uh, you know, effort into fixing. Money, 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 money. And then, you know, systemic racism, I feel more likely it's like real racism. I don't believe in systemic racism that much. I don't think like, you know, I think large companies would love to hire people of color. Government agencies would love to hire them. Schools would love to accept them. So that's not the problem. But, you know, because of like criminal activity and uh, terrible educations, you know, if you're a manager of a McDonald's, and you're like, oh, the last, whatever, the, the last time I hired a 18-year-old black man who came in with his pants sagging, it didn't work out well. I think I'm not going to hire any more people that look like that. I mean, I think that stuff goes on all the time. You're like, oh, I hired a 30-year-old Latina woman, and she worked out great. And then I hired an 18-year-old black man, and he worked out terrible. And so, you know, that's a type of racism, I mean... But it's also understandable. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to hire all the worst workers? You're like, you notice a pattern? You're going to notice a pattern that 18-year-old black men are terrible workers and then start hiring nothing but 18-year-old work, black men workers? You're not going to do that. And really, it all goes back, you know, it goes back to the, you know, it goes from the crime to the education to the racism. Uh, 
So there you go. You got to solve the crime. I think that's the first thing you got to do is you got to make those neighborhoods completely safe. For every single cop that's there, you need another cop. You need to double the number of cops. Uh, and I've been thinking about this. You know, I, I think, uh, whatever, they need to spend so much money on cops. Like, you know, I think every third cop should spend like one day a week learning Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? So now these people can uh, deal with criminals with their bare hands real nicely. And then I think like maybe one third of the cops, they need to spend like uh, one day a week learning how to do like EMT stuff, you know, being like a, like a nurse or a paramedic. So boom, you got any sort of mental health problems or you got some sort of, you know, whatever, other um, medical problems, boom, one of those cops will be there. You know, so, and, then, and then, so you double the number of cops. So every time there was one cop, you now got two cops. And one of them might be a Brazilian jiu-jitsu person. You know, you hear a call, oh, we got a domestic violence situation. Well, you send the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. And you hear like, oh, there's a guy running around naked with a knife. You send one of the EMT guys, you know, who also learns about mental health. I don't know. I mean, that's going to be expensive. It's going to be expensive, and the feds are the ones that have to pay for it. But, of course... Cops are not paid for by the feds at all. They're paid for by, uh, I guess, city and county, depending. And that's funny. I was watching something. I guess schools are also paid by city or county. Um, and I was watching these African-Americans talking about, you know, what's the difference between whatever, ki kids in school. And this, this, this black lady was like, well, you know, there was city kids and there was county kids. And apparently the city schools were, like, terrible. And, uh, you know, you got your kind of gangbangers coming out of that. And then uh, the county schools were good. And you had, like, you know, successful minority people coming out of that. Uh, so whatever. Something. They're doing something different between those two things. Uh, something can be done. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the difference there. I, don't, I haven't experienced that, but that was interesting. Now, so Murray thinks that uh, America is in grave danger. Is there any other kind um, from the left and the right? So what's the danger from the right? He thinks this is the real danger, the big danger. And what he thinks it is, uh, he says, you know, like take some white person who goes to work and, uh, you know, they have black coworkers and they treat them with respect and everyone's friends and it's all good. And then they go home and they turn on the news and the news tells them that the you know, they're racist. They're evil. They're the cause of all the problems that people of color have. And so Murray is worried that uh, a significant chunk of basically people who are not radical at all may be become radicalized um, by this stuff. And then, you know, if white people start thinking of themselves, I guess, as white first, you know, and maybe American second, you know, whites, they are white and uh, they're not whatever, their enemy is people of color, then that would be bad. I mean, he says, like, you know, the number of, like, currently, the number of white supremacists and KKK, neo-Nazi, whatevers, is so small that it's completely irrelevant. But America is 60% uh, white, and if you get a big chunk of that to, whatever, start having evil thoughts and plots, uh, you'd have a real problem. And so I don't know, maybe he'll, you know... That's really blaming the left. Like, the left is going to make white people racist. Like, you know, here we are. We finally got to the place where white people aren't racist. And now the left is going to 
falsely accuse them of racism until they become racist. So that, once again, that's the left's fault. Um, which doesn't surprise me. Charles Murray, I don't think he's ever going to do anything other than blame the left. He does not like the left. He never has, and he probably will die still not liking them. But we'll see. I mean, I don't know the number of riots we've had, you know, since the... So I know, I know in 2020, there was 570 riots. Um, and I think Portland was 100 of those. You know, so some of them had black people, but, you know, Portland had 100, like, basically exclusively white riots. And so I don't know how much of the 570 total, that's a Princeton study, were, uh, you know, entirely white riots. But I think a lot of them were. But in any case... That was a heck of a year. 2020 was a heck of a year, you know, and you could just say, you know, you could say um, May 2020 to May 2021, call that, you know, call that the the fiscal year, the riot year. And so I think, I think riots are down a lot. So, you know, maybe people are just calming. I think, you know, I think since Biden got in there, people are calming down. So I don't know if, I don't know if Charles Murray's right. I don't think, I think whites are not racist and I don't think they're going to start being racist. And I think the hyperbole is kind of lessening i mean i don't listen to the news really so there you go you know just stop listening to the news and then you won't have people calling you a racist incorrectly anyways i don't know we'll see i mean like new york just just had a mayoral mayoral election and uh they elected like a black former police officer who wants to get a little bit tough on crime you know he wants to re whatever he wants to reform the police as well as get tough on crime you know, he was voted in by, uh, I think, black people was, you know, the number one demographic that voted him in. And then, you know, probably a bunch of people of other races. Um, so, I don't know. That doesn't sound like people are getting crazier. That's more like uh, people are waking up to reality. Obviously, we will have to wait and see. I mean, I know the Washington Post and the New York Times. I mean, they're still pu- I mean, they're pushing this stuff harder and harder. You know, if they don't have Trump to kick around... They got to have, I don't know, you know, why do they have to kick around something? Well, the answer is, I guess that's how they make money. They got to kick around something. And so they're going to kick around, uh, you know, former Trump voters or maybe white people in general. All right. I was talking about the schools. The thing I want to add about systemic racism is that, you know, one thing that I think does meet the definition of systemic racism, you know, there's a system of powerful people who do something that has racist outcomes, and that's the teachers' union, teachers' unions. Um, like, there's been some evidence that charter schools, certain types of charter schools, uh, can get good outcomes for, you know, poor black kids, basically, and I think poor kids of color also, but I've definitely heard about the ones with poor black kids going to this different kind of school and, you know, doing a lot better. And I want to learn about that more. Uh, like in New York, they got these KIPP schools, K-I-P-P. You go on YouTube, there's a bunch of bunch of people saying how wonderful they are, but I didn't see like a good video on exactly the data. You know, some people love them, but that doesn't prove nothing. But anyways, I don't know why, but charter schools do not have union teachers. I think, you know, maybe the idea is like you need to be able to fire and hire your teachers however you want, you know. If a teacher ain't good, you get rid of them. If a teacher's good, you keep them. I don't know why. I don't know why they don't have union teachers there. But because they don't, the teachers union, which I think is the number one donator to the Democratic Party, um, they fight charter schools tooth and nail. Like, they don't want a single charter school open because 
you know, that's basically, it's literally going to take away one of their union teacher's jobs. You know, if you take a thousand kids out of this school and put them in a, and put them in a charter school, well, you don't need all those teachers you had that were under the union because those thousand kids are gone. I mean, you get the idea. And I think reforming police is also difficult because they got a union. But then the problem is that even though the police union doesn't like the Democrats, Democrats love unions. And so, basically, if you're waiting for Democrats to uh, kick the teachers' union to the curb, they're not going to do that. That's their absolute best friend, is the Democrat politicians. I mean, Democrat voters don't care. And then, like, even though the police union hates Democrats... Democrats are so pro-union, they don't want to mess with that. You know, basically, they don't want to mess with any union at all. And, uh, I mean, I kind of understand. I mean, union jobs are, <laughs> they pay good. And I think having a good-paying a good, a good paying job is a good thing. But, anyway, so it's complicated. And you kind of, kind of in a stalemate, you know. I don't think, Republicans don't care about fixing any inner-city schools, even though they hate the teachers' union. And Democrats care, but their best buddy is the one causing the problems. So... There you go. Systemic racism. It does exist, sort of. But, you know, is that racism? Democrats loving unions? I don't know. It's more like, you know, it's a, it's a it's a problem. It's a problem with education. I don't know. You really don't need to put racism on there, I don't think. You know, and there's people of all races going to these charter schools. I'm sure there's poor white kids doing poorly that could use a better school, too. So, you know, Glenn is asking... Lowry for some specific examples that say that white people are going down this real dark uh, direction. And I mean, long story short, Charles Murray doesn't have any examples. He starts talking about masks, people who don't want to wear masks. And I don't know, whatever. I don't think that proves anything. That was more of a, that was like, you know, that was a Trump versus not Trump, I think. I don't think people didn't wear masks as a racial anything. So basically, he has no he has no concrete examples. So then he's like, well, you know, let me just give a little uh, thought experiment here, even even though I got no proof. And he says, you know, what if the what if um, the feds like create a rule that says, you know, all the whatever, if blacks are thirteen percent of America, then thirteen percent of the high ups in the company have to be black, and so on. Like you get the idea. You could, the law could be written. Many different ways, but basically that kind of idea. You know, same thing for Hispanics. And then Murray's like, you know, well, some guy has a company. He's like, I can't, I can't find enough blacks to make that happen. And then he says, what if there's a divide? This, this is the part that gets a little interesting. What if there's a divide between states? And he mentions uh, like Colorado with their marijuana laws or something where marijuana is illegal federally, but Colorado said we are not going to you know, prosecute or enforce any of your anti-marijuana laws. So what would happen if the feds said, okay, you got to hire people based on their skin color, but then certain states, you know, it's going to be red states versus blue states, certain states are like, we're not going to enforce that policy. Or, you know, maybe like some states are 95% white. Like, okay, well, in, in this state, you... You can have up to 95% white people at your company. So basically he's saying that like companies may move to different states based on that kind of thing. And the other one was like, defund the police. He's saying he, he lives in rural Maryland. And where he lives, you can leave your door unlocked at night. And there's plenty of places in America where you can do that. 
So, you know, you can defund the police in the bad neighborhoods, and then everyone will just, you know, everyone who, basically, I guess white people, right? This will, this will be the dividing, segregate, you know, resegregate. Uh, white people will just move to places where it doesn't matter if you got police. Who cares if you defunded them? We got no crime. And so the part that's interesting to me is that, like, I know people are leaving California and moving to Texas, and they're leaving New York and moving to Florida. And uh, that's basically from blue to red. And so they don't say this, but when you say blue and red, you know, Democrat, Republican. So black people vote 90% Democrat, you know, basically entirely Democrat. So, you know, one thing that'll make a state be more blue is if it has black people. And one thing that'll make a state more red is if it does not have black people. Because just how they overwhelmingly vote one direction. And so, I don't know. Are people going to be leaving the blue states and heading to the red states? Well, if they are, they're kind of... It's like white flight. You know, the opposite of gentrification. It's white flight. And, uh... I don't know. That does sound problematic. Whatever. Now I'm just purely speculating. So Glenn uh, gets to the stickiest wicket of them all, and he asks Murray, hey, do you think black people are inferior? And Murray kind of laughs and says no. It's something, you know, like, is Murray racist? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, he laughs at the wrong <laughs> moments, like I just did there. So Murray goes into bell curves, you know, if you have a, basically that's the shape of human everything. You know, how smart you are, how tall you are, uh, how fertile you are, whatever. You always get a bell curve, where you know, most of the people are in the middle, and there's outliers on either end, way to the left, way to the right. And so Murray's like, you know, look, most of the, most of the bell curve, the fat part of the bell curves, are overlapping, so... He says, there's millions of blacks smarter than millions of whites. And then Glenn says, yeah, you know, I'm not worried about the, the middle part so much. It's, it's it's these tail ends, basically the right tail. No one, ever, no one ever talks about the super dumb people. I mean, there's, you know, whatever. There's retarded white people out there. Plenty of them. They're all on the left side of that thing. Anyways, no one ever talks about the left side, white or black, or anything else. But if you want to be a professor at Harvard, or really a professor at any school, you're going to have to be way on the right. You're going to have to be very, very smart. And the thing about these bell curves is when you shift when you shift the middle part over a little bit, all of a sudden the tail ends change a bunch. So to put it bluntly, if the average white person is a little bit smarter than the average black person, the smartest white people, there's going to be a lot of them compared to the smartest black people. And that is kind of what uh, society is cultivating right now. You know, society is looking for super smart people to go be programmers at Google. And, you know, if you're not smart, whatever, you can get minimum wage. And then we need to raise minimum wage because there's too many people who can't because the jobs suck. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, hey, Charles Murray, do you think blacks are inferior? And he says no. And... You know, he starts talking about there's all sorts of different abilities, you know. Uh, <laughs> he brings up basketball. But I think if you were to really nail him down, like, hey, Charles, 
hey, Mr. Murray, do you think that blacks are inferior at the jobs that pay the most in America? You know, like doctor, lawyer, professor. Um, I think he would say, well, whatever. I think he would not answer the question, but what he thinks is yes. You know, what he says is like, look, 99% of people are all the same. So, you know, we shouldn't be worrying about whatever, who's, uh, you know, who's in the NBA. You know, this is the, the 0 0.1, 0 0.01, who knows what, 0.001% of America that gets to be in the NBA. But, you know, there's not that many NBA jobs, like, compared to people are making six, seven figures in business. So, you know, maybe that's, you know, that's the, that's the one percent. There you go. The one percent. So if you can be in the one percent, I'm sure you've heard how you can be rich as heck. And so that's where, uh, I guess whites and Asians and in particular Jews are doing great. And then he says something that whatever, this, <laughs> he doesn't really say things that may, you know, he needs to work on his messaging if he wants to not sound racist. But anyways, he says that, you know, he's like, well, you know, if blacks think that, or sorry, if whites think that they're superior, well, they better look out because East Asians are superior to them. If, you know, races can be called superior and inferior, which he denies can be done or should be done or that he does. Anyways, and then he says, if you take a white person with 150 IQ and an Asian person with 150 IQ... Right? Your IQ is not the only thing about you. There's other things. And the other things, in this case, favor the white person. So a white person with the same IQ is going to be more successful than that Asian person. So to kind of summarize, you know, he's like, you know, the question was, are blacks inferior to whites? Charles Murray says no. And then basically he gives a whole bunch of examples of why whites are not the superior race. Like, you know, he doesn't compare them to blacks. But he's like, you know, whites ain't better than these people. Whites ain't better than those people. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, basically, he either doesn't mention blacks at all. He kind of, the basketball thing is a little offhand. But basically, if you're going to, if you're going to say there's anything, he doesn't say blacks are good at basketball. But he mentions how it's whatever, how the bell curve works with getting into the NBA. So, I guess what I would say his summary is, Whites are not superior to a bunch of groups. He doesn't mention whether or not they're superior to blacks. And then the one example that he gives about blacks being superior is basketball. So, not a good look. Alright, so now they're moving on to uh, crime statistics. And I guess uh, Charles Murray, he did break down these numbers and put them into ratios. Um, and Glenn is like, this is crazy, you know. I guess it's uh, people who have ancestors from Europe compared to people who have ancestors from Africa. Which sounds like a strange way to break it down, but anyways, that's how he did it. And Glenn is like, this is crazy, you know, There's, it's ten times as much, twenty times as much. Uh, I, I assume they'll get into some examples, but I want to throw in the one, the craziest one that I know is that um, black people in America commit violent crimes against Asians 280 times as much as the reverse. Now, this is per capita, which is the correct way of looking at it. So, you know, you grab yourself 100,000 black people, you grab yourself 100,000 Asian people. Well, however, you know, 
if the Asians commit five attacks on uh, out of that group, the Asians commit five attacks on black people. Well, the black people are going to be 280 times that. So I don't know what that is. 1500 more. And so why do I bring that one up? And you know, why am I not acting real sad and putting in a lot of caveats? Um, reason why is because I hate the media and you know, the media is like, oh, white supremacists are attacking Asians. All right. And all the videos were of basically black men attacking Asians. And I hate the media. I hate their lies. And uh, that's a stat that just totally demolishes their stuff. And so I guess I, whatever. I enjoy that stat. I shouldn't enjoy it, but I guess I do. So Glenn asks them, like, you know, how can you, they don't go into any other stats. So I guess all the stat you get is from me. Yeah, I'll give you another stat on Asians. So, um, black people attack Asians twice as much as their proportion of the population. Hispanics attack Asians equal to the proportion of their population. Asians attack Asians twice as much as their proportion of the population. And whites attack Asians one-third as much as their proportion of the population. You know, and if you think if it if it sounds strange to you that Asians attack Asians double, no, that's that's the only that's the only one of those stats that's actually normal. Um, you know, white people attack white people, black people attack black people, etc. You know, that's this is including like husbands beating wives. So, anyways, every race always attacks the own race because you're including domestic violence to start with, and then you want to kill your brother sometimes. But anyway, so they don't give any stats other than to say there's some crazy stats out there, which I just gave you some of them. And, uh, and then Charles Murray says, well, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why this is. You know, it doesn't matter why growing up in a black, poor black neighborhood means you're growing up in a terrible, um, violent environment for the kids. It doesn't matter why, you know, white kids in the suburbs are growing up in a very much less violent thing. The end result is that, you know, if you're a black mom, you want a safe situation for your kid. You know, it doesn't matter how you got into a situation where it's not safe. You need that situation changed and made safe. Which is kind of what I was saying earlier. And then here's where, it's, you know, here's where Charles Murray and I probably... Well, here's here's one where one place where we disagree. I'm not going to say I agree with every, any anything or everything that he said before, but uh, he really is like a lower taxes, um, whatever. People need to solve their own problems. The government can't solve nothing. And so he says, you know, ever since 1965, the government has been putting in tons and tons of money into these, um, you know, usually people of color, but not always. Anyways, just poor neighborhoods with high crime. That could be. Those are those neighborhoods for all races. But anyways, apparently the government's been putting money into those things since 1965. And uh, we got no... I mean, not only has it not been solved, but we haven't even figured out the way you put the money into it to solve it. Like, oh, don't put it into that thing. You know, don't put it into policing. Put it into education or whatever. Um, we don't even know that now. We haven't solved it, and we don't know how to solve it still to this day. So Murray ain't going to want to spend any money. But anyways, Glenn starts going off. He's like, here are some, some, some things that might work. I mean, here's some possible solutions. I love this stuff. So, number one, get lead out of these kids. Um, lead really does hurt the brain and really will make you dumb. So, whatever you got to do there, get it out of the 
water, get it out of the paint. Uh, we already got it out of the gasoline. Number two, send nurses home with new mothers. New mo you know, if a new mother is like a poor, whatever, an at-risk mother, a mother whose kid is at risk of having a bad outcome, you need to send nurses home with them and have that nurse show the mother how to take care of their kid. If they don't know, I mean, if they already know, fine, it can't hurt. And if they don't know, they might learn something. Change the hours of school. So instead of having it be eight to two, have it be 10 to six. So the kids are not getting out of school with a whole bunch of afternoon ahead of them and uh, no supervision. That's not one I've heard. That one sounds, that sounds like a pretty good one right there. You know, how to keep kids off the streets, put them in school keep them in school, you know, until, you know, until they're 18 and they graduate from high school, maybe, sorry, you're going to have to stay in every afternoon. I, whatever, I would have just skipped. <laughs> and dealing with the crime as people are adults, you want more people getting caught and shorter sentences. I've mentioned that before. No one cares how long they're going to go down for. They just think, if I'm not going to get caught, it's fine. I'll go commit a crime. So basically, you need to take money away from the prisons and put it into the police. I don't know what it costs, costs to house a person in prison. I think it's like 50 grand or 100 grand. You know, so like every every year you take off of someone's sentence. I mean, this is ridiculous. Every year you take off of someone's sentence, you could have another a whole other cop on the street for that year. Like, you know, you could say this year, okay, we're going to let out 1,000 prisoners. For the whole, you know, we're going to let out a thousand prisoners one year early. Boom, you got the money for a thousand new cops. I mean, that sounds amazingly great to me. I bet prisoners cost 50 grand and cops cost 250 grand. But still, you let out five prisoners and you hire a cop. That's still a good deal. So Murray's reply to all that is that that stuff sounds good. It might work. Um, but he's like, you know, those are all race neutral things. You know, you got, you got moms who don't know how to take care of their kids. We got white moms like that too, so you should be sending nurses home with all races of moms like that. And I don't disagree. <laughs>